Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. The showdown. We're talking through the story of Elijah, Jezebel, and Ahab. And we have come to the moment where Elijah is facing off with the prophets of Baal. Baal was a false god. It was an occultic god, a demon god that was being introduced subtly into the culture through the influence of Jezebel. Jezebel was a queen of a foreign nation that Ahab, the king of Israel, married and brought her into the culture. He, he brought compromise into the culture. He brought another god, a false god, a false teaching, a false ideology into the culture of God's people. And here, the lines began to blur. All of a sudden, the people began to fall away from the one true God, the God that rescued them from Egypt, the God that revealed himself to Abraham, the God that was there. Miracle after miracle, they began to turn away from that God, the one that loved him and knew him. They began to turn towards this false God. And let me, let me tell you, there are many false gods in this world. The God of money, the God, of, of, uh, the God that's over institutions, the God of culture. That's what Baal was. You know, Baal later would go on to be really the grandfather of many of the myths and the false gods that were worshipped throughout the world. And Baal is who Jesus refers to when he talks about Beelzebub. It's the picture of Satan. It's the picture of evil. And evil had begun to be introduced into the nation of Israel, into God's people. But whenever that begins to happen, so God will raise up a prophet. He'll raise up a person that represents him. He'll raise up someone that will speak the truth. Here comes Elijah. And Elijah has a challenging spirit on him. He has a nature that will confront the nation. He stands alone, but he stands righteous. He stands for God. He stands for his word. Hear me, even if many don't agree with you, if God agrees with you, you're in the majority. This is what Elijah did. He steps up and he tells Ahab, your compromise has created a spiritual drought, that, that there is no longer the conduit of blessings between God and Israel. And so, so he says, I'm going to show you what it looks like physically. And at the word of Elijah, for three and a half years, there was a drought in all of Israel. No rain, no dew, no storms. Baal was supposed to be the God that controlled the storms. But Elijah says, I'm going to show you the one true God. And there was no water, refreshing, renewal on the land for three and a half years. Well, now we're here at the showdown. After three and a half years, here comes the prophets of Baal. The, 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 the people that were given a high position in office from Jezebel. And, and here comes Elijah, the man that God had chosen to represent him in the nation. And there's a showdown over the heart of God's people in the nation. Will it be Baal or will it be God? And I believe right now we are in a critical hour, not just in America, but around the world. Who will we serve? What gods will we chase after? Will we chase after the God of money or the God of safety? Will we allow fear to be our control and be our master? Who will we serve? Will we chase after man and humanity or will we align ourselves with Jesus Christ, his call, no matter the cost? Right now, we are at a critical hour. We are at a moment in time. And I believe God is looking for the church and the people in the church that have the spirit of Elijah on them, 
to stand for truth despite the cost. In this hour, to reach out and to pray to a mighty God. That's my simple sermon today, is that you might be a normal person, but if God has appointed you and anointed you and called you, and if you would stand for truth in this hour, even if you stand alone, know that you're not alone. That God has reserved many around the nation to join you in prayer. And that at just a single prayer, God can move mountains, he can shift people, he can change everything. And this is what Elijah does. He says to the prophets of Baal, you worship your way. Let's see if Baal answers by fire. And I'll pray my way. And let's see if our God will answer by fire. For the God that answers by fire is the one true God. What is he asking for? He's asking for a dazzling display of the glory of God. And right now, we need something more than a good church service. Although church services are necessary right now. We need something more than a nice song. We need something more than a nice devotional. We need a dazzling display of the glory of God. We need God to show up in our nation. We need God to show up in our world. We have tried it on our own, and there has been no answer from the man-made gods. Our economy has failed. Education has failed. The experts could not be more consistently wrong. Everything we put our trust in has fallen, has been silenced, has had nothing to give. There has been no fire. There has been no might. There has been no safety. There has been no salvation. And we now come before God totally out of control. In other words, we have no control. 2020 certainly has showed us that. But we come before God and say, God, what we cannot do, you can do. Where we cannot move, you can move. Where there seems to be no answer, you can answer. And at a simple prayer, might God bring an answer from heaven to earth? The fire was just a physical manifestation that God can bring heaven down to earth. The fire was just a physical sign that God can bring mighty power in one moment wherever he wants. All the people of Israel were looking. They were watching. People of Israel were not evil. They were just confused. They hadn't made their choice, Baal or God. They were watching to see who's going to show up. And in this critical hour where the enemy has plans of darkness, where the enemy has schemes to destroy and divide this nation, you don't even have to be very spiritual to know that, to know that something is going on, that something evil is at work. That there are plans to rip us from each other. Have our hearts become cold to each other. To be at odds with each other. But I believe that God has greater plans. And I believe that heaven can intervene even in this dark hour. That the light can come. That truth can come. That what was done in secret, spoken about in secret, can be brought into the light. And I believe that in one moment God can shift the nation, the heart's of the nation to himself. But Elijah needs to stand. And Elijah is not just a man, it's a spirit. And I believe it's the spirit on the church. And today I want to call you, Elijah's, to stand and to pray. Look at what Elijah did when it was time to call upon God to come to the altar. At the time of the sacrifice, that moment in time, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He stepped up and he prayed. And the Bible goes on and says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, 
Elijah's praying, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Show yourself, show your might, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. He says, answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil. It touched everything because when the fire of God comes, it touches everything. The wood, the stones, the soil, the sacrifice, the wood, the cross, the stones, the altar, the sacrifice, Jesus. The soil is the heart of humanity. When the fire comes, he touches everything. And, he even, and it also licked up even the water in the trench. I, I, I say this to say we do not just need a little bit of fire, a nice little bit of warmth, a tiny little flame. We need the fire of God to touch the entire nation. It's got to go into our schools. It's got to go towards our children. It's got to come into our businesses. It's got to come on our streets. It's got to be in the voting booths. It's got to be on our minds and in our homes. We need the fire of God to come and burn out the idolatrous things. Burn out the old broken systems. Burn out the wrong thinking and brand in, burn in his spirit and his direction and his holiness and his righteousness. Let the fire of God, the power of God come on the people who will ask. Because God cannot answer a prayer never prayed. You have to ask. When the fire comes, it touches everything. And then when all the people saw this, They fell prostrate and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We had it backwards. We got confused. We followed people that were using us. We followed people who were in it for themselves. We followed a wrong ideology, a wrong way of thinking. We got distracted. We got complacent. We got apathetic. But when God shows up, We're reminded, we're awakened, we realize it's the Lord who is God. Forgive us, God, for searching for salvation in any other place, and that includes government. It's the Lord who is God. And So my prayer is that in this next week, in next weeks, that God shows up in a mighty way that will awaken the hearts of people and turn us back to himself, that this would be the statement of a nation waking up. The Lord, he is God. We need God's divine intervention in our nation. We need God's divine intervention in our lives. Sometimes it's time to preach an encouraging sermon, a simple sermon, or a sermon to the individual But I'm not just speaking to the individual today. I'm speaking to the individual in the context of the greater community. I'm speaking to the church today. It is time for the church to rise up and call upon God because we need something above natural. We need something almighty. We need something supernatural. We are in desperate need In a critical hour, we need God's divine intervention in our nation. We need God to answer by fire. 
So what, would, what must we do? What can you do? Us is awakening. Even around the world. You see the chaos that's ensuing. There is a dark spirit trying to throw the world into chaos. You're watching in the Philippines. You're watching in India. You're watching in Canada. You're watching in America. What can we do? We can follow the example of Elijah. He stepped up and he prayed. He stepped up and he prayed. In this moment in time, will you step up? Will you pray? Because see, that's the greatest action you can do when stepping up. He stepped up and he prayed. And I'm asking the church over the next few days, week and even weeks, you need to pray like you've never prayed before. You need to be bold in your prayers. You know, even Jesus, when he cast out a demon, they said, how did you cast that demon out? Jesus said, this kind of demon only get, gets cast out by fasting in prayer. In other words, there's a certain type of prayer. And sometimes you need to even layer fasting on top of that for that unclean spirit to be cast out. There are levels of prayer. There's a moment where you could pray for five minutes, but sometimes there's a moment where you got to pray for 30 minutes. You got to pray for an hour. You got to add fasting to it. You got to add weeping to it. Sometimes you have to add your spiritual language to it because there are some times, there are some moments, there are some, some situations where a quick thrown up prayer is not enough. Where God calls the community and says, on your knees before me and pray. This is that hour. For if my people, the Bible says, who are called by my name, Jesus. Do you have the name Jesus on you? Are you called by the name Jesus? Christian means little Christ. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and their wicked culture. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. He will hear, he will forgive, he will heal. But it starts with us stepping up and praying. Isn't it amazing? Elijah was one man. They had hundreds of false prophets. A nation of people. Elijah was one person. One man, one prayer, one hour, one man's prayer can heal a land. Say it again. The prayer of one man can heal a land. One woman can heal a land. That is how powerful prayer is. Prayer shifts populations. Shifts circumstances. Prayer is everything right now. What do we have but prayer? What can we do but pray? It's the gift that God has given us, the key that unlocks the doors of heaven. It is the weapon by which we can yield, wield in the spirit. Prayer, it's everything right now. You might say, well, what practically can we do? What technical, practical? Practically, you can go in your room, you can close the door, and you can pray. You can turn off Netflix tonight. You can set aside some time. You can put it in your calendar because it is the most effective thing you could possibly do in these next few days is pray. Prayer doesn't fit us for the greater work, Oswald Chambers says. It is the greatest work. Prayer is not just for preparation. It is divine action. 
Jesus says, whatever you bind, whatever you loose will be bound and loose, but you got to bind. You got to loose. You got to open your mouth. You got to engage your faith. Hear me, we need some Elijahs right now. And you might say, well, I'm no prophet. I'm no great man. I'm no Elijah. Well, James has something to say to you. James says this, Elijah was a man just like us. Do you get that? James says, I know you think he's the greatest prophet who's ever lived. I know you think what he's done can never be done by another human. I know you think it's beyond you to shift populations. But Elijah, the brother of Jesus says, Elijah, let me tell you something about him. He was a man just like you. He was a human just like you. One translation says he had a nature just like ours. There was no levels of perfection on Elijah that you don't have. There was no level of power that you can't have. There was no special words in his prayer that you can't pray. He was just like us. But what did he do? He prayed earnestly. He prayed again. He prayed hard. He prayed with his mind and his soul. He prayed that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed. One prayer might not be enough. One moment might not be enough. There might be some things in your life where you need to take that principle and apply it. Again, she prayed. Again, she went before the throne. You say, oh, I've been praying for seven months. Seven months? You're just getting started. Again, he prayed. It might take three and a half years, but pray again. You say, Jordan, I've been in a drought for three and a half years. Well, welcome, welcome to reality. This is what the people of Israel, they were in droughts for three and a half years. They were in wilderness for 40. But that doesn't mean that God abandoned them. Keep praying. Because the reality is the world is fallen. We don't live in a utopia. We don't live in perfection yet. There still is a God, little g, of this world. And he still does have authority over rulers and nations. But hear me, there is a God above that God, a king above that king. And he is the ruler of all things. And his kingdom will be established for eternity. Now we might be in the drought. Now we might be in the wilderness, but not forever. Not forever. Our final conclusion is kingdom. And, and Jesus says, but, but you can pray, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. That the ruler of this world doesn't have the final say. So if you've been in a drought for three and a half years, if you've been in a broken place, a sunken place, hear me, pray again. Pray again, because the kingdom that one day we will be in for a thousand upon thousand of years, that can come into your life right now. The eternity, eternity can invade the temporary from the bridge of your prayers. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain. Think of it. The heavens gave rain. Prayer unlocks the heavens. And the earth yielded, yielded its crops. He says, Elijah was a man just like us. But when he prayed, things began to change. Look at his reminder in verse 16. He says, why? Because the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, continual, powerful, earnest prayer of a righteous man or woman, and you are righteous, not of yourselves, but of Jesus Christ. So you pray under the covering of Jesus Christ. Jesus, this is who you are. 
This is what your mercy says. This is what your grace says. This is what your word says. Therefore, God, will you intervene in this situation? If you will pray again, it will availeth much. It will change much. It will improve much. It will have an, a, 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 an effect that is much. But you got to pray. Prayer is your heavenly petition. Prayer is your heavenly petition. Writer of Hebrews says this. So let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy for our nation and find grace for ourselves to help in this time of need. Pray bold. Pray continually. Pray constantly. Pray effectively. You say, oh, I keep saying the same thing. Find new ways to say it. But keep praying. You might be saying, well, Jordan, okay, so are you saying... That we should just pray and not vote? Certainly not. Certainly not. I believe prayer is the first and fundamental action of every Christian. But I believe that your vote is your voice. So do not be willfully or willingly silent. Certainly you should vote. Certainly you should put your physical and temporary petition before the government. But that is nothing compared to your eternal and heavenly petition that comes before the King of Kings. So vote and vote prayerfully, but understand that you have another vote that supersedes even this vote. And this other vote isn't once every four years, every two years. You have a vote in eternity daily. You can come boldly before the very throne you would never be invited into, into Pennsylvania Avenue, but you can be invited into the throne room of God. The church is an Esther that gets to walk in, and everyone knows you shouldn't be here. Everyone knows. You don't get to be in the Holy of Holies. That's reserved for the high priest. But Jesus is our high priest, and we are covered by his blood. And so when we walk into the, the Holy of Holies, the place of the palace, the throne room of God. The writer of Hebrews says, walk in boldly because God knows you and he loves you. The church is his bride. And everyone says, oh, well, the bride shouldn't be here. You know, she's got problems and she messed up and, you know, she's technically breaking the law. But here comes the scepter of grace. What is prayer but coming before a mighty God and receiving help and mercy and grace in your time of need? And I'm praying that the church begins to understand its power to come before an eternal throne every day. And certainly in this season right now, we need God to supersede and intercede in our nation and in our world. So vote. Definitely. You might even be saying, well, how should I vote? I would say vote on biblical foundational truths. You know, I've heard it said, vote your values. Well, who knows if your values are any good? Vote biblical values. Vote biblical values over your personal preference. Vote principle. Vote principle, even over party. Vote in accordance with God's spiritual foundational truths. And you might say, well, what, what are they? Well, go back. Listen to the last three sermons. I give you 12 biblical foundational truths that I believe can help align your vote to be aligned with heaven. And I think it will even help you. Go back to the last three sermons, listen to them, 
I'm sure you're going to put in the time and the effort. But I want you to know, creation, life, marriage, family, God, church, they're important. So use your, your power here on earth, but understand there's a greater power in heaven that supersedes government. Your prayer overarches government and comes before the king of kings. Think of it. When Daniel was in captivity in Babylon, a foreign nation, what could he do? He could pray. When Paul was put in prison by the Roman Empire, what could he do? He could pray. When Bonhoeffer was arrested in Germany, World War II, what could he do? He could pray. Whatever your circumstances, our circumstances, the last word sits with God, and you can pray. Prayer is your heavenly vote. Let me tell you something. Prayer cannot be censored. Prayer cannot be banned. It cannot be taken down. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be driven out of you by fear. It cannot be controlled. Churches can be shut. Nations can be put under lockdown. But your prayer comes from an inner place to a secret place. And it is powerful and it is effective for the pulling down of strongholds. Church, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to step forward, and we're going to pray. I'm thinking about our national motto right now. In God, we trust. Well, how do you trust God? You cast your cares on the Lord. You say, God, I am unable, but you are able. I have no control, but you are in control. So God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Challenge you. Church. Step forward and pray. There's a man in our church right now, and he's been sending us updates. And his granddaughter is in need of prayer. And what did he do? He gathered the men, and he texted them. He said, I need prayer. It's amazing to see a leader of a family begin to represent that family in prayer and call the elders, as the Bible says, to come alongside him and pray. And we saw the need go to the answer, go to the result. We see God intervene. And I see it time and time again. What is it? It's the prayer of righteous people that availeth much. Pray over yourself. Pray over yourself, church. Maybe you are filled with fear right now. Maybe you're filled with anxiety. Maybe you're, you've been struggling with it in the past seven, eight months for good reason. Maybe you feel like you're being hemmed in or you're nervous. In the next few weeks, things might get difficult. You might not know where to turn. But I want you to know, turn to God's people, turn to God himself. Prayer is the most powerful weapon you will ever have on planet earth. Pray over yourself. I've heard many people say, I got to get to church and I got to get to the altar. And I, I agree with that. I think you got to get to church and I think you got to get to the altar. I think there is something so powerful when people pray together and they agree together. The Bible talks about it, but I want you to hear me. You can put your hand on yourself. And you can pray for yourself. And you say, that's weird. That's weird. It's no more weird than the stuff you were doing before God saved you. Where you bought like little rocks at a gift store. This is the blue one. This is the yellow one. And I lit a candle. It's like $12 worth of rocks and candles and some sage. That's weird. You kidding me? 
The enemy wants to convince you that prayer's not that big of a deal, that you didn't feel anything, that just because the thunderclouds didn't appear at the moment of your choosing, that it wasn't effective. But hear me, every word that's uttered to God is not lost. When it's released from your lips, it hits God's ears. It does not get buried in the sand. Pray for yourself. And maybe even say, I don't know how to vote. What should I do? Just tell me. How about this? Pray and ask God how to vote. You could pray for every single thing. Ask God. Here's what I hope our church gets, discernment. And how do you receive discernment? Through prayer. You could be going into a situation, a business deal. You could be going into a very difficult conversation, maybe with a family member, maybe with your spouse. You could be going into a difficult conversation. What can you do? You can pray. Holy Spirit, give me the right words. Help me not flip out. Some of you need prayer over your emotions. You're unable to control your emotions, but God can bring supernatural help to help you control your emotions. Some of you have no maturity. Pray that God matures you. Some of you feel like, I can't seem to get it right. The Bible says, James says, pray for wisdom. You can walk into any situation and just pray under your breath. Paul even says that when you pray, you could go before governors and kings, not knowing what you're going to say, but pray. And when you show up, God will give you what to say right then and there. And you say, well, I might be nervous. That's the king right there. But, but, but Paul's saying, yeah, but you're already talking to the king every day. Who's this guy? I'm talking to the king over the kings. And he says, even in the midst of your nerve, don't plan what you're going to say. Pray what you're going to say, and God will tell you what to say. Sometimes God will tell you what not to say. You want to say something, but it's out of pride or ego or flesh. Pray under your breath, and the Holy Spirit will say, not now. Sometimes you want to say something in truth, but in the wrong spirit. The Holy Spirit will say, not now. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. Where does that come from? It comes from prayer. I know I'm speaking corporately a lot in the sermon, but this is, this is practical. This is for you. This is one-on-one. Pray every day. Pray in every way. Live a prayerful life, and the Holy Spirit will help direct and guide you even as you pray your way forward through life. Over the next few weeks and months, we are going to have to pray our way forward through life. But hear me, on the other side will be a dazzling display of God. What was Elijah's prayer? He says, Lord, I'm praying that you're going to turn, you're going to turn their hearts back to you again. That was the goal of Elijah's prayer. Whatever happens in the next few months, I want you to hear my prayer that our hearts as a nation will be turned back to God. Salvation does not come from a government. Salvation comes from God. Our hearts must be turned back to God, returned once again to God. You might say, oh, that sounds impossible. Collectively, we are too far gone. Things are upside down. How could there be that level of change? Seems like we're already on the tracks towards destruction. Seems like the cases are rising. Places are being shut down. The world is tipping. But I want you to know, the future is not set. The future is not set. I just, I've had this in my spirit the past few weeks. And it's this phrase that the future is in flux. That, that your, our prayers can have more effect on the coming future than we might ever even know. 
That God does nothing without the work and the words of his people. And he's waiting. He's saying, who's going to pray? And you might think, well, the whole nation has to pray. Elijah was just one man. But when he prayed, it shifted a nation. Could God use us to shift the future? It is not set in stone. It is not, we are not on tracks that will not be moved, that cannot be changed. The future is in flux. flux. God can intervene. God can move things around. He can change situations just in one day, just in one hour. God can do what seemingly would be impossible. God can make possible. He can work on our behalf. Hear me. But we must ask. We must ask. Remember the, the King Hezekiah, prophet Isaiah, a famous prophet, came to him with a word from God. Prophet Isaiah says to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. It's not the kind of prophecy you're pumped to get. When the prophet comes to town, we have worship. The prophet looks around, you in the back. You're like, yes, set your house in order. <laughs> for you shall not recover. Ugh. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. Prayed. And he prayed. And he said this. He said, now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart. And I have done what is good in your sight. A lot of prayer is asking God to remember who you are as his child, and to remind God of his promises to you. Listen, that's the key to prayer. Remind God who you are. Remind God who he is. God loves it when you, like a lawyer, bring his promises to him and say, God, you said. It's the key to prayer. It's the key to prayer. That's even why I wanted to bring up the national motto, in God we trust. God, this is what we have determined. We are not perfect. We need help. But we trust you, God. So God, come through. Will you come through? Lord, remember your servant. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Remember, I told you there's a certain kind of prayer. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, the word of the Lord came to him and said, turn back. Turn back. And say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. See, God remembered who Hezekiah was. And he remembered Hezekiah's father and David's father before that because God is faithful to a thousand generations. He says, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. Hear me, God. Prayer to God can turn things around. He says to Isaiah in the middle of the court, turn back, turn back. Hear me, your prayer can turn things around. God can turn things around. Your situation, this nation, even what we're dealing with, God can turn it around in one moment, but he's asking for those that will turn their face towards him and pray, and pray. This is what Jesus says in Matthew. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. You've got to ask. What am I saying? I'm saying that you have a say. I'm saying that you have a say. In the future of this nation, you have a say. And what's going on around the world, you have a say. In your family, you have a say. You know, this sermon is essentially a one-point sermon. You have a say, so pray. Pray. Pray right now. 
Pray like you've never prayed before because you can pray a better future into reality. God will partner with your prayers and he will turn around a negative word before it even gets out of your home. He'll turn it around. God can turn around a, a profession of death that might be trying to come on this nation. He can turn it around before it even gets out the door. God can change, rearrange. You know, the Bible even talks about in the Old Testament that God changes his mind time after time. And how could he say, how could God ever change his mind? God says, I'm going to do this unless you ask. I don't know if, if you have small children. This is how God kind of works with us. Sometimes I'll go to my son, I'm doing this, but I really want him to ask me. I'll say, all right, looks like today we're getting green beans. And he says, no, dad, pancakes. But I really wanted to give him pancakes. So I said, we're getting green beans to make him ask. If you have small children, you know they don't just ask once. They don't just say pancakes. They say pancakes, pancakes, pancakes. They start chanting pancakes. God wants you to ask like that. He says, come to me like a little child. He says, all of you who are evil, when you, when you ask your father for something, he doesn't give you a snake. He's a, your fathers are evil in comparison to me. How many more good things will I give you? But you've got to ask and ask and ask and ask. So much so that God will change his mind. I'm going this way. He tells the prophet Isaiah, go tell Hezekiah, it's time to die. Get yourself ready. I mean, think about it. Isaiah the prophet, God the Father. It's almost like if we had the prophet Isaiah show up and say, your time is done, we would say, well, of course. You don't get a better prophet than Isaiah. He knows. I accept it. It's over. But Hezekiah says, who says I have to accept it? Lord, remember who I am. Lord, remember who you are. And that prayer turned the prophet around. I wonder, I wonder, if right now God's just hoping we're going to pray, turn America around, turn the world around, bring a revival and a renewal and a restoration so that the people will know that the Lord is God. I want you to pray with me right now. I, I know it might feel a little weird, you know, to, to pray with a screen, but we have a unique opportunity to pray individually and corporately around the world at the same time. It's unique. And it might feel a little weird, but don't let that stop you. Right now, let's pray together. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to agree with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, right now we lift up this nation to you. Our homes, our children, our future, our legacy. God, we put it in, our hand, in your hands. God, in you, we trust. Not in ourselves, but the experts the naysayers, not in institutions, false gods. We do not put our faith or our trust in circumstances, but we come before the cross of Jesus Christ. God, we believe that you have the final word, the final say over this nation and over us. And God, we believe that you love America. And God, that you will bless America. You will bless your churches and your children. So God, we pray that the plan of the enemy, whatever the enemy is going to try and launch against his people, God, we pray you foil that plan. Dash it to pieces. What's done in darkness, bring it into light. God, whatever plan the enemy had to make a mockery of your people, God, I pray you bring it to light. 
and make a mockery of him. I pray in the name of Jesus that your hand of protection is on this nation, that boldness comes on the church, that faith rises up in people, that hope begins to come from our mouths, Lord God. And God, we ask you as your people intervene in our nation. Show up, God, in a mighty way, with mighty works, God, so that you will get the glory and that all may know and all may see. I pray that all may say that the Lord is God. You are God. And beside you, there is no other. In the name of Jesus Christ, come on, everyone says, amen. At the end of Elijah's prayer, what happened? But the heavens opened up and physical fire from heaven before all the people descended upon the altar. And the fire was so powerful it burned up the wood and it burned up the sacrifice and the stones and the water and the soil. When the fire began to come down, it wasn't small. It wasn't a little flame. It didn't just take what it was supposed to take. It hit everything. Because see, that's what revival does. It hits society. It hits humanity. It hits everything. The water is the spirit. The soil, for ashes to ashes, dust to dust. The soil is humanity. When the, when the fire comes, it will hit the churches and the people. It will hit, gov- hit governments. It will hit businesses. When the fire comes, it comes on the sacrifice, Jesus. There is no revival without an awakening to Jesus. The wood is the cross, Jesus. It was his sacrifice. And he went before and he took our punishment. And he took our shame. And he took our guilt. And the Bible says he took our sickness. This plague does not have authority over the cross of Jesus Christ. He took our sickness. And he took the plans of the enemy. That when there was a shaking, and when there was an earthquake, and yes, when the darkness thought it had victory, what it thought was victory was actually defeat. For the cross, the instrument of torture and death, is now a picture of life and victory because Jesus took what should not be and made it what should be. He took the old creation and made it new. He brought death and took life out of it. He took the keys of the grave away from hell itself. Jesus is our sacrifice. The cross is our salvation. The altar is our heart. And we say, forgive us, God, for turning aside from you. Forgive us, God, for trying to save ourselves. Our priorities have been wrong. Our hope has been in in wrong places. We've put it in weak people. And as a nation, we've turned aside from the things of God. We were founded on Christian principles and ancient stones. And as much as they try and rewrite history books, they cannot erase those ancient boundaries we are a Judeo-Christian nation and we have lost our way. Jezebel has come in. We have compromised. We've gotten a long way off from the Father who brought us out of Egypt. Hebrews says, for our God 
as a consuming fire. When the bush began to burn and spoke out, Moses, I've heard my people's cry, and now I'm going to send you to bring them out of slavery. That fire was God, and that voice was the Almighty, and that plan was heaven sent. And he goes to Moses and he says, it's time. We're going to bring my children away from those that are oppressing them, harming them. Egypt is a picture of sin. Sin is the ultimate slavery. And God says, no longer will you be encumbered. No longer will you be in bondage. No longer will you be enslaved to yourself and your sin. So he sends a true and greater Moses. That's Jesus. But it started with the fire. When he brought them through the wilderness, a dry desert place, the wilderness, where it seemed like all was lost. And for a generation, what should have been an 11-day journey took a generation, 40 years of wandering, but there was the fire. It was a pillar, the constant reminder that he who began this will finish this. It was the fire by, by night and the cloud by day. It was their protection. It was their guidance. It was their warmth. What was the fire? It was God. For our God is a consuming fire. When they made it to Mount Sinai, God pulls the people together and he says, on this day, I will be your God. And when his spirit descended on the mountain, what did it come in but fire? And it gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And he says, I will be your guardian. I will be your leader. I will be your king. Fire was God. When the three Hebrew children were thrown into the furnace, the fire went from man's fire, which was meant to harm and kill. But in a moment, it turned to God's fire. And what did it burn off? Only the bondage. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit falls and the tongues of fire comes on the church, what was it? It was God. And when Jesus will return in Revelation, the Bible says he will come with eyes that burn like fire. We need a dazzling display of the glory of God, the fire of God. Lord, we ask you to burn out anything that's not of you. And burn in. Burn in your law and righteousness and holiness. God, we're praying that your fire falls down on your church again. God, that we might, we might see your works for ourselves. We want to see healings. We want to see mass salvations. We want to see holiness, culture shift. But God, we need your fire, your power, your might, something that shows the world that it was always you and only you all the way through. And that the reaction of God's fire coming down would be revival. The people said, the Lord, he is God. They turned away 
from the old, and they came back to the new. The Lord, He is God. When the fire, the power, the might, the authority, the display of God, when it came upon that altar, it changed the whole nation and it returned their hearts to Him. That's what we need in America. More than anything else, we need the hearts of the people, our hearts, to be turned back to Him. So God, we ask for your fire to fall. Let it be visible, real, and powerful. And that God, through it, you awaken people. There will be a mighty revival. And with one voice, we would say, the Lord, he is God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.